if you don't set clear boundaries for yourself and with your employer and your clients, then there will be no end. Hi, you're listening to Looks Like Work. I'm your host, Ted McLeanler, and yeah, it's the least pronounceable name you've ever heard, but you'll get used to it. I'm a serial entrepreneur who's obsessed with curiosity, creativity, and grit, and that's just to get started. I really can't get enough of learning more about people's career choices. What fulfills them? How do they deal with burnout, with heartbreak? How do they protect their boundaries? And is it all even working? Those are questions that keep me up at night and I hope to explore here. On this podcast, we'll have deep conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, people juggling a few jobs, sometimes even a few industries, sharing what looks like work for them. With that, on to the episode. I really hope you'll enjoy it. Dr. Frida Wiley, welcome to Looks Like Work. I am so excited to have you on. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you. It's an honor. Oh, the honor is all mine. And this has been a long time coming. We both know each other from the Upside community and we've been corresponding for a while. And before we'll jump into you and everything that you're doing, which is so fascinating, let me just quickly introduce you. So Dr. Frida Wiley is an author, a medical writer, a consultant, and an entrepreneur. And she has an upcoming book, which we will touch upon shortly. But before we dive into all of that, all of those good things, Frida, what looks like work for you? Work for me looks like a day of scheduling and combining that with adventure. So I start out every day with a plan that I had written up the night before to make sure that I stay on task. And I make sure that I intersperse some kind of fun activity or, or breaks in between. That's awesome. I love that. That's so organized. I find myself writing lists as well, but unlike you, I often find myself writing them as I'm going through the day. <laughs> and it's so funny because I don't know, are you big on Slack? Or do you use Slack at all? I do use Slack for some of the groups I belong to, but I have to kind of manage that or have certain days that are actual Slack days, because if not, I will be way off. (laughs) I totally get that. So we use Slack on my team just, you know, for team communications, because we're also mostly asynchronous. And then I found myself a few months ago, just writing to myself on my own Slack, like DM message to myself, just like trying to organize my brain. And I started taking screen caps of those like messages and posting them to Instagram stories. And people started asking me, Hey, like, what's like this fancy app that you use to like organize your to-do list. And I was like, it's just writing a message to myself when I'm like in the middle of a million things and have no idea what I'm doing next. So I could really, really appreciate that you are actually taking the time the night before it sounds like it would free up so much just brain space. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that that's what you suggested is a great idea too. For me, I tend to use toggle to organize Mm. and keep track of how I'm spending my time and my, not only the work time that I spend for different clients, but also just how I'm scheduling other things during the day, whether it be marketing, networking, or self-care. 
And it really gives me a good overview of how I'm spending my time. Am I being productive? Am I staying on task? And what are the areas where I may be wasting my time or not using my time as wisely? But now that you mentioned it, I have to try the Slack trick. Yeah, now that you mentioned it, I need to, to use that method and toggle. I know a lot of my team members use it to track time, but I never thought about this application for it. And it actually sounds really awesome. So I found really fascinating, actually, like thinking about or reading about like kind of your career and how kind of the medical and the pharmaceutical world connects to writing, because as a writer first, and then like I always applied it to different areas and fields, it's always like so interesting to find this like different application of it. Can you give us like a little bit more of a glimpse into what you do day to day? Yeah, absolutely. So it'll be nine years in January. I've been working as a freelance or contract medical writer and consultant. And the work that I do, initially it was a mixture of journalism as well as corporate work. So in the journalism space, I would write for major publications, both digital and print. So for example, I've written for WebMD, I've written for oh, the Oprah Magazine, for US News and World Report, Costco, et cetera. But I would also write for medical trade publications that were read by medical and scientific professionals. So it's two different types of language or communication skill sets there. And then at the corporate level, I would work on various projects for various pharmaceutical companies, marketing agencies, associations, even some university work. The work that I do now, it's mainly corporate focused and it can involve slide decks, patient handouts, still some digital copy behind the scenes, ghostwriting even for thought leaders, so thought leadership pieces, creating web copy, and also sometimes research-oriented reports. So that's in a nutshell what I do. I love the variety of it because I started writing in the lifestyle world, which probably couldn't be more different, even though there probably is some overlap with publications. And now I'm like, my team and I are really focused on the technology world. And it feels like the more niche you go, it would be more like kind of a one tone. But actually, I think so many times, not only with writing, probably with a lot of different things, just like you described, the more niche you go, there are more like shades of gray within that. And it's so interesting. And I know that one of the things that you've encountered in your career is working from home way, way, way before that was what most of us have been doing. Can you tell me a little bit me and the listeners, of course, how did that feel when it wasn't so trendy and so common? Yeah. So as a little bit of a backstory, when I first started working from home, I was a hybrid worker. So I was a traveling pharmacist and I conducted one-on-one -on -one consultations with patients in person. And because I was working for a grocery store chain in a largely rural area, rural region, there really wasn't an office for me to catch up on the paperwork that I had to submit to the patient's doctors and the insurance companies. So working from home initially for me was born out of the necessity of not having a regional office. And so initially I would notice that on the days I would actually go back into a pharmacy to fill in that there was a bit of a disconnect. People thought that on the days that I was working from home that I wasn't really working. And I also felt that I wasn't as 
connected with my coworkers and my colleagues. And I thought it was just kind of minor, but when I became a full-time teleworker, working 100% remotely for a company on the East Coast, it was really difficult because this was before everybody had Microsoft Teams. This was before there was a lot of video chatting, even via cell phone. So our company was a startup. They didn't have the infrastructure to support some of the engagements that were enjoying, even Slack. That wouldn't have been an option for me back then with my organization. And it was isolating because initially I was the only telecommuter in my department. And not only that, they were all in the greater New York City area. I was in Texas initially. It was very isolating and I felt misunderstood. Yeah. And I think, you know, back 10, 15 years ago, when I started my career, I also worked from home, but I was a translator. I only needed to go and schmooze and network a little bit in the publishing house once every few months. And then otherwise, I would just sit at home in front of my computer, work whatever hours I wanted. And I'm a night owl. So that was amazing. And my son was a baby. So (laughs) I worked whenever he was asleep. And I was like, yeah, working from home is for people who are introverts, who don't love socializing. It was like really like as simple as that. And as we all know now, it's like really couldn't be farther than the truth. Like it could be true for some people, but there are so many types of working from home. And as you said, hybrids, fully working from home, just working remotely, but not from home ways of communication. And I love how you break it down in, in your book, because it's like how you kind of relate to your work and you to your coworkers. It's how your environment, your non-work environment sees your work. Can you tell us a little bit more about like what helped you back then when it wasn't that common, kind of find your way through it and build your routine and communicate to the people that you were working with about what you were doing and what you were going through? Yeah. So as far as the first part of your question about finding my routine and how I did that, initially took some trial and error. I started out by talking to the few people I knew back then who had worked from home. Most of them had already gone back into an office setting because of some of the challenges that I pointed out and others. And also feeling back then there was the stigma about working from home out of sight, out of mind. And if you're interested in growing your career, then you can't do that by working from home. You need to be visible and in an office because that way they can see you and see your contributions. So I compiled the feedback that I got from the people I knew within my network I read every book I could get my hands on. Most of those focused on productivity, not the mental health aspect. And then I actually started keeping a list. I made a list of things that would make me happy, a list of things that I wanted, the list of the challenges that I was facing. And I tried to figure out ways around them. And then again, even figuring out ways around like the professional challenges aside from the mental aspect, reaching out to my network helped. In my book, I even talked about this chance meeting with the lady I was sitting next to at a restaurant and she happened to have an extensive HR background and I was expressing some of the challenges that I was facing and she gave me a very refreshing perspective on how to approach the challenge, how to advocate for myself within the organization and the way to position that to get the buy-in. Unfortunately, in my case, it did not work out and it's not because the advice was bad. I think it was just one of those things that it was a sign it was time to move on. 
she gave me insights that gave me a skill set that I was able to leverage later on. I love that. And I love how methodological you were about it and like kind of breaking it down into these different components. So fast forward, it's 2020. The world is in flux. The work world, right? The workforce is also in flux. People need to start working from home. And, you know, with added complexities, like having their family home, lots of anxiety, all of that. Did you find what you've learned? Of course, I'm I'm sure it helped you during that time. But did you find that people were like sharing that anxiety and that, you know, confusion? Did it make you like, did you know before that you already had like that what you kind of built for yourself was a methodology or did that make you kind of realize, oh, wait a minute, I've already like worked on that? Yeah. So it was a little bit of both. I found that, yeah, there was a lot of shared anxiety and I was comfortable in the work from home space. And I also found from having talked to other longtime telecommuters that they were comfortable in the work from home space too. However, the pandemic threw everybody a monkey wrench because those of us who already had pre-established routines and ways of working that really supported our journey. Now we had to find ways to maneuver because perhaps the coffee shop that we would go to once a week that was now closed or the happy hours that we would go to for networking or whatever. Some of these other activities, whether it be professionally oriented as in change of scenery or networking were no longer available. So we also kind of had to recalibrate, but we had the baseline norm as our experience to refer to that many new telecommuters didn't have. So there were times where I found myself almost pep talking some of the new telecommuters and it actually gave me the extra push I needed to finish the book. I spent eight years writing the book. I first started writing it in 2014, mainly as an outlet, because I went through so many of the same things that millions and millions of people across the globe went through during the pandemic alone at a time where it, understanding or even the compassion towards how working from home can affect your mental health. There wasn't a lot for it. We were constantly dismissed as, oh, you're not really working. I even saw many posts about that on LinkedIn years before the pandemic. And then once 2020 hit, all of a sudden there was a shift and people started having conversations. I saw a level of compassion and reception to how working from home affects your health that I had never seen prior to that time. Yeah, it was like an influx of like so much content. I remember that. And it's interesting because also, as you said, when you and I got started working from home, probably around the same, you know, decade at least, there were so many less tools, just like technically Slack, Zoom, all of that. And a few years before the pandemic, those tools did already exist and some of them were already pretty good. But I don't know about your experience, but in my personal experience, it was perceived as something that is okay, like as a second best, as something that could supplement when you can come to the office. Like, for example, I live in Israel, so I just couldn't, you know, be in every meeting in New York or in the Bay Area. So I would supplement that with the Zoom calls. There would be less openness for that being, you know, in my time zone and some like finding a time. So even though we would still kind of communicate remotely, 
it would be like, yes, but let's make the experience as close as possible to actually being there in person. Whereas when the pandemic hit, like suddenly the world had to just come to terms with the fact that there is more than one time zone. <laughs> and, you know, there's so, so many other components. Have you felt that big shift where it's not only about the tools and the possibility, like the option, the technological and technical option, but actually kind of a bigger openness to also working in different ways and to not like necessarily measuring it against an office? I do think there has been a shift. And I think, to be fair, part of that had to do with this unprecedented deluge of people working from home overnight. Because in this, uh, pardon me if this sounds judgmental, it's really not. But what I ended up discovering over the years is that in general, the people who dismissed working from home as not being a real job and teleworkers is not really working were people who had never worked from home. So they didn't quite get it. Really and truly, the only thing it frees up is the telecommute. Yeah. Or, or, or the commute to the office, rather. So, and in some cases, you may work harder or longer to prove your worth. Or as I heard during the pandemic, some people were given extra work because the thought was, oh, you have all this extra time. That means we can give you extra work to do. So there was definitely a shift. There was a reception as opposed to, okay, you can't do this because you're working from home. It became more of the mindset of, okay, how can we make this work for us? Because we don't know how long we're going to be in this situation. So what I saw was a level of compassion, collaboration, creativity, and reception that I had never seen or experienced prior to 2020. Yeah, that is such a good point. And you know, as you were talking about this, I was thinking, hey, like, how can we even talk about this without bringing up privilege? Because it's all about proximity to, you know, wherever the office is, being just situated, even if we're talking about time zones, even now when working from home or working remotely is so normalized, like, are we aligning to with Eastern time zone, GMT, like what's the center of the universe, the center of the world, so to speak, right? So much is about this. And as you said, only when people who are fairly privileged experience the need, right? Because it was an absolute need to like shift the way they work and live, only then did compassion come up in this way. Yeah. And I think too, when you're mentioning the privilege piece, at least for my experience, and I've heard this from some other telecommuters as well, especially prior to 2020, I felt pressure to work longer and work harder because I didn't want to lose the privilege of working from home. But even beyond all that, I didn't want anyone to say that I wasn't working. And you if want I people had, to question you, right? Right. So I had my immediate lines of management seemed okay with me working from home, but I felt a lot of pressure from my colleagues. And yeah. actually in one of my remote settings, I had someone make a joke. So I had to dial into meetings via telephone. There was no Zoom. The call quality was often bad. And because my voice doesn't carry and New Yorkers culturally tend to talk over each other. So Mm -hmm. I would get drowned out to say, hey, you guys, I can't quite hear you. I can't quite make out what everybody's saying. So one time I was slow responding to a question, not because 
I wasn't trying to be actively engaged. But when you're sitting through 30 minutes of Charlie Brown, because you can't understand, so it's want, 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 right? It's difficult. And then someone said, don't worry, Frida, we don't think that you're just uh, sitting in your pajamas and watching TV. Uh. And because I had never seen them, none of them had an active social media presence. So I didn't even know what the people looked like. I had to invent who I thought they were. And I had to invent what I thought certain comments meant because I didn't have that initial contact or frame of reference. That is such a good point because before organizations were set up to remote work, the whole onboarding process and kind of the knowledge transfer and share and everything you do around culture was also built around physically being there, at least at the first phase of like you coming in into the company, right? Yes. Yeah. And my all of my training, so to your point, all of that took place remotely. I interviewed in person for the job, but after that, everything became very removed. And on top of that, because of the infrastructure not being fully formed or not nearly as advanced and conducive to the teleworking experience as it is today, there were many technological glitches that also made my work more difficult. Yeah. So I had many battles to fight in the process. (laughs) Totally. And I really like how in the book you go into like, is it less stress or is it more stress? And you give the example of less stress before, you know, just sitting in traffic for ages and that I could definitely relate to when like in the very rare occasion that I have like an in-person meeting now I just sometimes sit in traffic it's like why why are we still doing this but on mm-hmm. the other hand like yeah I joined a co-working space just in order to be able to shut the laptop at some point because when you're home there's just no end to it Yeah, there's no end to it. And well, let me back up. There is an end to it, but you have to be your own advocate, whether you are an employee, a consultant or both, because if you don't set clear boundaries for yourself and with your employer and your clients, then there will be no end. And even now, like I still see that I have a few bad habits I developed during the pandemic where I check my phone a lot now. And prior to that time, I had a policy for myself where by eight o'clock every night, the computers were off. And if anybody needed to reach me, those people who need to reach me, they have my home phone number. I love that. So yeah, you you really have to, because otherwise you're going to be wired all the time. That's going to affect your mental health. You're going to feel more overwhelmed, more stressed and overworked. And it's just not healthy. Yeah, I can definitely relate. I am not very good at boundaries when it comes to work, unfortunately, but I definitely in these last two, almost three years, I now have two hours for lunch where, you know, my son, he he's at school until like very late, but he comes home for lunch for an hour. So I have two hours. So I have time to prepare lunch and to like have a little bit of a breathe for myself and then like sit down with him and just nothing gets booked at those times and you have you have to like find what it is for yourself it's not you know to each their own but you have to find 
what it is for you because otherwise it's really you don't have as many external boundaries so it's about finding those internal ones absolutely yeah and even beyond that at least for me because I started out in sort of an unexpected situation I had initially expected to move to New Jersey or New York City for this job and then was pitched the idea of working from home full-time once they found out I had some remote work experience so since I ended up staying in this area in this rural community to start I really found that I had to work harder to set boundaries and I had to work harder to make sure that I was uh, socializing, to make sure that I was networking also because I didn't have the flexibility to my remote work schedule that many teleworkers have because right. I was working as a pharmacist and I was involved in patient care all day then my appointments were scheduled back to back every single minute of my working day was scheduled. So I couldn't stop to go pick up my nieces. If there were an emergency, I couldn't stop to, if I needed to schedule a doctor's appointment, I would actually have to schedule time off because I had people counting on me. So there are so many different ways to work from home. And I think it's important to put it in the context of how dynamic it is and how not all work from home jobs are the same. And so because of that, the types of stress that we experience, the types of challenges we face can be very different. I tried to take Pilates classes, like private instruction, as kind of like a little spa treatment to myself after I started. And I wasn't able to because my instructor did not understand my schedule. She kept saying, well, I have other clients who work from home and they're able to come in the middle of the day. (laughs) But that is so true because the amount of freedom and flexibility and just ownership you have over like how you structure your work time, whether it is when you work, is it like a one bulk or do you like just spread it across because some people you know like me 15 years ago I would love to work like at 1 a.m once in a while but I would I wouldn't want to take a call at like 11 a.m and it can work when you were you're a translator like I was but it can't work for what I do now and I'm still it's the same thing I'm I'm still in the same house and still working from home but it's a completely different job yeah and so I think that that in itself that can be an entire book that can be another narrative just to increase the awareness and understanding that there are different stressors that we face different ways that we manage it and how those different environments as that fall under the bucket of telecommuting all deserve their own compassion all deserve their own levels of support yeah I love that and I think another thing that I was like reading in your book and I was like that is so right. But I think so little is said about this is how other people in your life relate to your work from home. So as you said, like that Pilates instructor was like, but other people are working from home or, you know, I used to live across from my parents and I had young sisters. They're still young, but they're not, you know, they used to be like five and seven. Now they're like 20 something. <laughs> and I was like, why can't you like just pick them up for, from school? Like you, you're at home, you know, <laughs> I was like, I'm working. <laughs> so I think that probably has changed a little in the last few years, but still as people are going back to hybrid or back to the office, 
for a lot of them, it seems like whoever stays at home is very, very flexible, and that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, and, and so you touched on a good point there, too, especially in bringing up your sisters. I don't have children, but I was taking care of my mother at one point early on in my remote career. And because I was on the phone with patients all day and I would be taking meetings from my boss or our project team, I did have a moment where one time my mom came into my office (laughs) and she started talking and she didn't mean anything by it, but I was in the middle of a call with a patient and calls were recorded, as you know, for quality purposes, (laughs) right? You hear that all the time when you call into a call center. And that came up on my performance review. Oh boy. Yeah, that's terrible, right? But then fasting forward to the pandemic years as a telecommuter, I started to see all these posts on social media and comments elsewhere where people were talking about how they were in the middle of a meeting on video and their toddler comes in the room or, you know, the dog starts barking and there's an outpouring of compassion. And I remember thinking, man, it would have been nice if I'd had that because (laughs) it was almost to the point where I was like a Catholic school girl again. And I was waiting for the nun to come with the ruler and wrap me on the hand. There wasn't very much grace. And then when you have family or friends, especially in the pre-pandemic years, sometimes the inability to understand, they think that you're immediately accessible all the time. And even though I had communicated certain things with my mother, she was also a recovering cancer patient. So obviously I'm not going to think, okay, well, I just can't help her. That's important as well. So we're being pulled in multiple directions constantly in a way where previously we were in the office it was okay. Home is at home unless there's an yeah. Emergency. It's just there's so much more clarity because you're you're just not physically there. And it's so interesting because now there are also so many other styles or just forms of working because it's not it's no longer just working from home. I have team members who are digital nomads and they can work from a different time zone every month or you know from a different climate. And it's like our brains are, are kind of expanding in so many different ways. And like, you know, I'm constantly calculating time zones. That's my, <laughs> I feel like that's one of my, you know, top <laughs> skills right now. But also I think there is so much more openness because as you said, like when you started out, it was about giving you grace, like, oh, we're letting her, you know, work remotely or work from home. And there is so much where the weight, the core of the business is in the office. And if you're not there, then you're kind of struggling or not struggling, but really working very hard to make up for it. But then do you even have the emotional and mental capacity to kind of showcase your work and to, you know, to network and to work on how you're being seen by your peers or by your seniors, right? Because so much of it is, is not only doing the work, but also making it visible to others. Well, I found that for myself, when it came to trying to showcase my work, be visible and get credit, to be recognized for my work, I had to develop strategies that were different than what it would have been in the office. So Now that many people use Microsoft Teams as an example, I found that if I'm working on a project, 
then I would need to post, create a folder to kind of show things that I was doing, but make sure that I was very strategic and it wasn't just about, oh, hey, look at me. I did this because then it looks very juvenile, right? Right. So being very intentional about what I chose to include and demonstrating my value and support to the team. So that would actually be something that other team members might go to as a resource to support their work. I love that. And I think like everyone can take a little bit of time and think what is the strategy that could work for them, for their personality and for the type of culture that their organization operates, because it's not necessarily the same, the same answer, right? I think that that's also important that everybody does have a different strategy. And I think it also not only boils down to the type of work that you do, the position that you have, but also your relationship, whatever your brand equity was prior to becoming remote, how well people knew you before you went remote in that particular right. So that's the other thing. It's easier to demonstrate value. It's easier to get the buy-in if you've already established a certain rapport. But if you're doing it from scratch and the people didn't know you from before and they don't have much information to go on, then you do have to be a little bit more assertive. Yeah, assertive and strategic. It's a different trajectory, so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've been writing this book for eight years, you said, right? Yeah, eight years. It's quite an undertaking and also like so much resilience. How did it feel kind of going back to it or just like continuing to do it now in the last few years? And how does it feel to be ready to kind of share it with the world? Yeah. So first of all, it feels amazing to be finished because my career for nearly a decade now has been as a writer full-time and it's so much more difficult to write a book when you write every day for a living. I know that now, (laughs) maybe I missed that email in the past, but I'll never forget it. And so it was really a process because I saw how my writing evolved when I first started writing the book. And I also saw where there were areas where maybe I left something out or added Mm. things that didn't need to be added. So I really had to take a step back and just kind of view it from a different perspective, getting input from other people too, to make sure that I wasn't being redundant. And the other part about it is another challenge I faced initially was when I started out, I was looking for data. I was looking for studies and research and reports on how working from home affects your mental health. And unfortunately, when I started writing the book, there were very few resources that really supported that. So 2020 really helped me to kick things into gear because in addition to saying, okay, I worked from home and I was sad and I was isolated, boo-hoo-hoo, woe is me. Now I have the data to support that. When you have the facts, that makes it so much more powerful. And the fact that I saw this unprecedented reception to exploring mental health in the space of being a telecommuter. So I felt like that was the perfect time. And then knowing that Really what I was finding, many of the things I was finding, it it's not just applicable to someone who is a hybrid employee or a remote employee, but many things like eye strain and 
being active and different things like that, that's also very applicable to an office-based employee who drives in every day. Right. Yeah, totally. Oh, I do want to go back to a question that's been on my mind. I really love the term telecommuter, and I would love for you to share with our listeners, like, how did you arrive to that? And like, why do you call people who work from home or remotely telecommuters? As far as the term telecommuter, it really is a catch-all term for people who work from home, whether they work from home one day a week, the way that I started out as a quote-unquote hybrid worker, or someone who works from home five days a week. I was trying in my title to kind of lump things together in a way that it would relate. So to say telecommuter sounds very, I guess, formal and maybe scientific, even putting psychosis on the end of it, that sounds very scientific. Mm -hmm. But I also put from surviving to thriving while working from home in your pajama pants is my subtitle to kind of lighten up the mood on a very serious topic and to kind of make it resonate to people who would not be familiar with the term telecommuting. I love that. So I think so much about what we just discussed is about compassion. Because a lot of it is very, you know, we can go into the technicalities of it and how the world changed and it's all really important. But at the end of the day, I think the big shift is just empathy and the compassion of all of it. So you want to leave our listeners with something you can tell them from your heart to make them feel more seen or less alone? So I wrote the book really initially as a form of self-therapy, but then it grew into a mission to let other people know that they're not alone, know that they are supported, there are resources. So consider this book. It's not the solution for everything. There are plenty of other people who've worked from home far longer than I have, but it's something to help kind of get the conversation started, help you start thinking and maybe guide conversations with other people, whether it be seeking the help of a mental health professional or a support group. So there's never any shame in coming forward and saying, hey, I don't feel okay in this environment. Hey, I need some help. There's no shame in seeking help. And that's what I want people to take away from the story. Here, here. I love that. So how can people find the book? Yeah, so it's currently available on Amazon, and it will be coming to some other outlets in the near future. And if you're having trouble finding it on Amazon, you can also look me up at FridaWiley.com and click on books, and you'll find the book there, and it will take you straight to the site if you want to get the book. That is so exciting. So now that the book is out there, and of course, you're working on promoting it and you're working on all your other ventures. What is the next big thing on the horizon? I'm in the process of working on another book project. I, I mean, I'm still continuing to do my other writing work as well as promoting this book. But actually, initially, I was going to come out with the children's book in early 2020. But of course, we know what happened in 2020. So yeah. It's actually a book series about women who ran for president before Hillary. And the reason why I was coming out with it is because I wrote extensively on this topic at the time that Hillary Clinton was running for president. And I think that there are so many stories. There are so many women who have run whose names will never be heard or known. And I want to give a spotlight to them. They all have incredible stories beyond just the fact that they ran for president. And I see this as an opportunity to motivate young girls to let them know that the sky's the limit. 
they can do anything that they want to do. And that when you have people who are running for president as females in the United States of America, 50 years before women are allowed to vote, there's power in that. Wow, that is incredible. I can't wait to read this one as well. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so you're doing a lot. How do you how do you unwind? How do I unwind? Well, I enjoy music. So I play piano. I like to dance around and sing. Those are stress relievers and great ways to <laughs> take a break during the day. But I also enjoy the outdoors. I love hiking. I love just forest bathing and just being out in nature, spending time with my friends. Frida, thank you so much for being here today and sharing what looks like work for you and also your book, which is what looks like work for many people, including me. And I loved reading the parts of it that I got to read already. And I can't wait to go back and read the rest of it. And I think this will resonate so much with looks like work listeners. And honestly, I can't wait to read your next book because I had no idea that women ran for president 50 years before we could vote. So that sounds amazing. Thank you so much, Frida. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Thank you for listening to Looks Like Work. You can find resources, links, and of course the episode show notes at roomsandwords.com. That's rooms, like a room, and words, and like an end.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I really, really hope that you'll like my newsletter too. My newsletter is something that I send out every week and I share thoughts, links, books and just other things that I find thought-provoking, interesting, somehow contributing to these conversations that we're having here, or sometimes just joyously distracting. Again, the newsletter is sent out every week, and you can find the link to sign up on my website at roomsandwords.com, and I really hope to see you there, and of course to see you here next week. Have a good one!